Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. Today we're talking the KKK, Aaron Andrews, the face of the new welfare queen, and more on Justice is Served. You are tuned in to Black Hollywood Lives. Justice is Served. The following is a presentation of the Black Hollywood Live. Have you ever fought the law and it won? All Beat the you? time, oh, all man. the time. <laughs> Hi, Black Hollywood Live fans. This is Justice to Serve. Thank you for joining us here where we bring you the latest in uh, legal news on a weekly basis on Black Hollywood Live. Thank you for joining me. My name is Chelsea Galicia, and I am joined by my co-host, Shaka Smith. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Uh, we, I cannot believe, are going to start with a story about the KKK, yeah. but that's what we're going to do. Yeah. And not, and I mean, not. I, I'm more shocked that we're starting with a story about the KKK in Southern California. Yeah. I, for one, had no idea that here in Southern California, yeah. <laughs> um, and in the home of Disneyland, that there was a very live and active chapter. Yeah, apparently. definitely surprising. But yeah, they're everywhere, and you know. And so the KKK held a rally this weekend uh, mm-hmm. in Anaheim, themed. Uh, white lives matter. Mm-hmm. Were you surprised at all by that theme? N- not at all. <laughs> but you know, it, it, I think it goes to show you that you know freedom of speech works on all sides. You know. Yeah, I mean, we are going to talk about this because there were arrests that were made, yeah. and frankly, I was surprised about the nature of the arrests. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse, the KKK has a right to express its thoughts, beliefs, opinions, and that's what they were doing Mm -hmm. when they clashed with what were called counter-protesters, and about 12 people were arrested. I had thought, based on the KKK's history, that I was going to find out that the KKK people had assaulted people. Yeah, I was right there with you. We were expected to read that, you know, that they would have been the majority of the people taken into custody. Right, not the case. No, so no, no. a dozen people were taken into custody. It turns out it was five KKK members and seven members of the counter-protest. Yeah. There was some violent video that came out showing stabbing, and police say that the videos, the eyewitnesses, everything tends to show that the KKK members were themselves the victims of these counter-protesters. Yeah. So I'm really disappointed by this. Uh, I know that we don't, most of us, don't agree with the KKK, what they stand for, what they believe in, and what they were there to espouse, but we still have to respect their rights. Yeah, they, they do have a right to, to voice their opinions, to you know peacefully assemble. And yeah, so apparently they were doing just that. They had planned to set up uh, and just pass out flyers or something at a park. Mm-hmm. They had actually asked the Anaheim police for assistance beforehand. Mm -hmm. And the police said no. They said, well, actually, they didn't just straight out say no. They said, well, we can, but that costs money if you're asking us to assign special units just to your event. KKK Mm -hmm. didn't want to do that. They instead offered, well, why don't we have our own private armed security people? And the police were like, Uh no. Yeah, that's not. And so the police arrived on scene later as the clash had already begun. So there was some criticism of the police force, uh, but I can understand the police oh, yeah, perspective. S- do you think that they 
well, responded no, inappropriately? No, I think they responded appropriately. Our cities are hev heavily burdened, you know. So um, because you believe you might need police protection for something doesn't mean you're necessarily going to get it without any kind of prior history of specific threats being directed at you. So I think um, the police had the correct response. It looks like they did respond swiftly as well um, when something did happen. So, uh, you know, it's unfortunate, but I, I, I don't see any fault uh, on the city here, but I do, obviously, the protesters, it, you know, we understand the past, but people do have their right to um, protest, and so. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we can't beat them by going to their level. Exactly. That's never worked before. So now, there are some people still in custody. Do you think that they're going to get uh, better treatment in the system because we generally agree with like the position that they had? That oh. they were there maybe to oh. defend the dignity? Or the flip side is because of the media attention that you know they, they're treated appropriately or maybe even stricter than, um, than otherwise. But you know, I think with enough scrutiny here, the law is um, generally clear and so I think I think it'll be handled appropriately. Yeah. I think you have the right eyes looking at this particular case, so. Right. I don't see significant jail time no. for the, I mean. On either th side. They, th this, these people got injured. Some Like three people got but stabbed. there were some stabbings. I believe there is one person they're still looking for in, rela in relationship to the stabbings. That's that's true. Um, but those stabbings of the counter-protesters, the KKK has said that it was in self-defense. Yeah. And as of Right now, the police actually agree yeah, with them. Yeah, looking at the video. Yeah, and I, the reports were that the minute they stepped out to really protest, they were immediately attacked. So. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I hope that we don't have this very often. But if something like this happens again, we have to remember yeah. to sort of leave them, sort of almost leave them be. There usually there's supposed to be like a space in between, like a protest and the and counter protest. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I, we should respect that probably for the safety of everyone. And now I'm wondering, did the counter-protesters make this worse because it turned into a fight? And now we're all talking about it, perhaps more giving them a bigger platform than, and more attention than they would have received had this not happened. Yeah, and to some degree, I'm sure it's sort of like a recruiting mechanism to show that you're under attack. And so that this idea that, you know, that white people are under attack, that the KKK is espousing, um, certainly you add more fuel to that fire. So it's unfortunate to see it happen, but you know, I, I'm glad that we're here at you know, Black Hollywood Live to be able to call out justice on both fronts. And so whether or not we agree with you know, the KKK, yeah. um, we are happy that justice is served and that hopefully a lesson can be learned going forward that everyone has the right to freedom of speech and there's a way to protest and a way not to protest. And you can do so peaceably and you know, kind of protest other people. Absolutely. So then uh, the KKK has now been, um, you know, got, become central in the political uh, election of the president, especially with Trump. He was asked if he disavowed the sort of endorsement of the former leader, David Duke, of the KKK. And then, so that was a whole fiasco for Trump. Yeah. I sometimes wish we were more of a political show, but we have another show on this network, Black Tea Party, that covers political matters um, because that was a, a whole mess that I love to get into. But for us, um, we, we saw that at a rally this week at a, uh, not a private, a public university, uh, what was the name? Of oh, Valdosta State. Right, so in Georgia, Trump was there for a rally and a group of about 30 black students were escorted out of the rally by Secret Service. They say they weren't 
doing anything. They weren't being loud. They weren't really even protesting. Yeah. They were just observing, and they say they were kicked out uh, simply for being black. Yeah. I'm like, is that legal? Like, I mean, I'm starting to question <laughs> or forget. Like, wait a minute, this isn't this isn't right because even if Trump rented out this space, a, a state university is public grounds and you cannot on those grounds discriminate based on race for any event that the school hosts even if Trump rented the space. So how how did this happen? Yeah, so yeah, typically I would agree. Um, however, one of the students did say it was a protest and that while they were silent and not disrupting um, anybody, that they were standing in solidarity to silently uh, um, protest the Trump and what would be happening later. So just like we had with the KKK, I think here officials saw it a potentially dangerous situation. So in this particular case, they were able to preempt it. And you are, freedom of speech is not absolute. You know, and so you're allowed to limit freedom of speech insofar as it keeps the peace and keeps people safe. And in this particular case, I would argue that they were asked to leave, not just for the safety of the people in the rally, but for their safety as well. Um, you know, these rallies can get, you know, quite raucous and people can get injured. And if you have someone already protesting in a very public fashion in the middle of the rally, I think that you um, potentially have, um, you know, the, the siege for violence. Yeah, there. but we, we can't speculate and, like, try and beat the fight to the punch and say we're going to remove these peaceful students because it's likely that this is going to get ugly. If that were the case, then we wouldn't allow the KKK to have any rally because we would see in advance, hey, this group has a history of violence, and so to usurp any you know potential problem, we're not going to allow them. We allow people to be there. Yeah, but we, we do this all the time where we say you're having a protest, the counter-protesters have to be across the street or have to be 200 feet away. So we do have regulations to keep people safe. So here these guys were in the actual rally. Certainly, if they wanted to protest across the street, I cannot imagine but they would we have, have to move. we have across the street when, I mean, but th th this was a, a, a rally. Anybody can watch it. They said that they were, they were watching it. There, you don't think there were any white students there protesting it? Why was it only the black students that were kicked out? Well, from what I, from what I read, it seemed as if the black students were all wearing black, and it was a clear to anyone observing that it was a protest. And now... I don't see how that is like potentially dangerous. Black kids were wearing black outfits in well, solidarity or protest. I think I just once don't you, get it. I think once you have a group that you identify um, are protesting and they're protesting, and the assumption is they're protesting a candidate who hasn't been in the news, possibly wavering on this uh, endorsement from the KKK, it creates a situation that looks like it could blow up into something more. And, that we, and for the safety of those protesters and for the other people in the rally, I think it was smart for the university officials and the law enforcement to say, hey, you guys can protest, but you cannot protest in the rally here. I might agree with that if it was school officials that broke this up, but it was apparently the Secret Service, per Donald Trump's orders, 
to get those kids out of there. Well, that was one report. So the Secret Service has said they gave, they did not step into it whatsoever because that's not their role. That's not their job. Their job is to protect the candidate, and it, they don't do anything with law enforcement. So they direct things to law enforcement. So Secret Service is saying they didn't direct anything whatsoever. This was directed by the university officials and the local law enforcement Just that was there. The way that those students were marched out of there, like unwelcome, that you yeah. cannot be here, was so uh, just disrespectful and I can't, I can't imagine that the school is proud of the way it handled it or it allowed this to I, go down. Without knowing more facts, I kind of side on the school here because, you know, this is not new. We've been kicking out people from presidential rallies for years. You know, I know it happened a lot with But that's usually after the outburst of some kind. No, no we, we had a lot of protesters with President Obama. Um, some of them weren't, but I mean, some of them were carrying guns, but... Uh, <laughs> okay, fine. <laughs> so, you want to get those but, people out. But, but, but these were students, but you not all, carrying guns. But you also had people that would protest Obama and, at rallies and they, without guns, and they were asked to leave. And, or asked to stand far back and keep their protest to a certain distance. So, you know, in the interest of public safety, I think any time you have um, a protester in a rally-like environment, and we've seen some of the way Trump's rallies have gotten in terms of energy, um, I... Yeah, because he incites hatred. Uh, well, <laughs> I, without going so far, <laughs> though in some ways I do agree, but without going so far, I, I think you can see the potential for a dangerous situation. I think it was smart on both sides. Yeah, but we can't prevent we can't sort of prevent it from happening because it's a maybe uh, we, but we do it already and we accept it already we we accept local yeah. ordinances that say you can only protest here you have to be this far away so yeah. regulating it slightly I was just I, I think I guess I was just very moved by a, the video of a, a tearful student who was like I can't believe my own school yeah. just kicked me out of an event yeah. like if my school was hosting an event mm -hmm. for a candidate that I didn't believe in, I would still want to go just to see, and maybe for sure I'm not going to vote for that candidate, but they're at my school. Agreed, but if you... If I should you, have more of a right to be there than the candidate. But if you ask 30 of your friends to wear similar clothing and to come and silently protest with you, don't, no you, problem. Think, don't you think that might be an incitement to violence? No. Nope, not at all. Oh. Wearing, oh, we decide to all wear, you know, the same outfit, and that's inciting violence. I just don't see it. I mean, unless on it it said, you know, fight the hater or some, you know. I I, th I think you, but I think we can all generally acknowledge a, a group of students fighting against what one candidate is saying or doing in a very packed rally. Fans of that candidate is not a, going to be a conducive to a peaceful a peaceful protest. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know if, if in that rally was all Trump supporters. I, I would think that there was a lot of people there who were like, hey, this clown is at my school. I want to go see him just because he's at my school. Well, I don't know. I've seen some of the videos of the rallies. People seem generally pleased and happy. I, but very, I don't understand you know, it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't understand it. All right. So I, I guess, you know, a, a fair point of disagreement here. <laughs> but... Uh, generally, it is not legal to be kicked out of a rally for race. Well, no, yeah, if it's for race, no, but I'm going to guess they're going with keeping the peace here. All <laughs> right. Okay. All right, so moving on to a very different kind of case. Aaron Andrews, the ESPN sportscaster, who about, gosh, I think it was 2009, I can't believe how, it's been like seven years, yeah. where she was taped on, on a cell phone naked in a hotel room by some guy who was down on his luck and thought 
this would make him some extra money if he could find a way to videotape her naked and then sell it on the internet. He didn't actually succeed in selling it, but he released video of her naked on the internet anyway. So he has been convicted of stalking mm -hmm. and has been put away for, I believe, 30 months or so. Yeah. So now Aaron Andrews is suing uh, the guy and the hotel civilly for some pretty serious damages. Yeah. So uh, when I first saw $75 million she's suing for, yeah. what did you think when you saw that figure? You know, it was funny because I was reading more of the, I was into the story before I really thought about the figures and what was going on. So I was feeling really bad for Aaron Andrews, just, you know, having to go through this invasion of privacy. But then I thought to myself, I remembered it was $75 million and she's suing the hotel. And that to me seemed a little disingenuous. So, but, you know, a, a little digging, it makes it seem almost logical that she would do that because we tend to look for the deep pockets. Yeah, yeah and this is the side of, you know, um, lawyers that people don't necessarily like, you know? Yeah, but this is yeah. something we are, are like talked to. Uh, Taught yeah, in law school yeah. is you you can't squeeze blood from a rock exactly. is what we're so, told. So, so you know that the guy that filmed the video probably doesn't have much money. He's not going to have anything near $75 million. So, you know, as an attorney, I'm sure they got together and thought, well, where can we get money from for this invasion of privacy? Well, maybe the hotel is negligent yeah. and not doing more to stop this guy. You're right. So the, the claim is that the hotel had a duty to protect her privacy mm -hmm. or to... Um, stop somebody from being able to carry something like this out. Mm -hmm. The story of how he pulled this off is kind of interesting. He had planned this in advance. Like yeah. he he was a sports fan and so had seen her, knew that she was popular, and then he says he was in Nashville on business, found out he was at the same hotel, went to the restaurant inside the hotel and used a phone to have the operator of the hotel connect him with Aaron Andrews' room, and on the phone, uh, what do you call it, where the you can see the, the, the number of her room came up on yeah. the screen, sort of, of the phone. Yeah. So that's how he knew what, what room she was in. Then he went up to the room and saw that the room next door was being cleaned out by um, the cleaning staff, and they... Uh, seemed to be moving somebody out who used to be in there. So he went downstairs and asked for that particular room. Mm -hmm. And then when she left the room, he messed with the peephole such yeah. that it was, I don't know what he did to it. I'm not yeah. sure. Did you understand what he did to how, how he, he messed with it? He took it out and... Yeah, I'm I'm guessing he must have made it maybe more a clear window versus, you know, the kind of myopic way that you yeah. see through people. So he messed with that, and then sh he waited for her to come back in, listened just through the, the wall that she was taking a shower. When she got out of the shower, he goes to the door, sticks his cell phone into the peephole, and starts recording, and 10 seconds later, she appears there naked. Yeah. And he records for about four and a half minutes before perhaps he says his conscience got to him that he, he had enough yep. and then he stopped and then proceeded to try and sell it didn't, and then released it. And so she has been testifying this week uh, pretty emotionally. Yeah. And I wanna show a clip of that um, before we talk about why she's talking about such personal issues. Yeah. Can we roll that? I understand. 
I feel sad because I think he would have loved the girl more that was there before this happened, and I feel very guilty about that. I don't like to talk to him about this. I want to be the easy breezy girl. I want to be the cool sports reporter dancing with the stars host that he's so proud of. I don't want him to see this. All right, so that's Since that's good. Thanks, Zach. July of 2009. So it seems like, wait a minute, she was stalked. And, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking about this from a non-legal perspective. She was stalked and she had this situation. Why does she have to be on the stand crying about her personal relationships? From a layperson's perspective, it doesn't seem to really matter. Why is she doing this? Well, yeah, I mean, we're trying to establish more damages. And, you know, a great way to get it is negligent infliction of emotional distress. And she, this is the kind of emotion you, you want to see in a case of emotional distress because generally you can't just be sad about what happened. It has to physically eat away at you. It has to have caused real damage to relationships. Um, you can't sleep that well at night anymore. You've had trouble eating. And it so, changes the way you are out in the world, how you yeah. feel about yourself. She was talking here about her romantic relationship and how that has been impacted. Yeah. And so, you know, as an attorney looking at this, this makes me go, was this more coached? Was this more prepped? Because as well, I'm watching it, I, I felt, I really felt, I empathized with, with her. And then I'm remembering this is a $75 million lawsuit I mean, against the hotel. Very clearly. Well, about, against both the guy, Barrett, but and the, we know and who the she's hotel. trying to recover from This is yeah. true. So the. She's very clearly knows what she's supposed to say because yeah. she uses the the language that the she right needs to say. Thing, yeah. Embarrassed, humiliated, you know, kind of like devastated and so sad yeah. and insecure, and she's using all the right. These words. are like she legal knows, buzz, term, buzz terms for this kind of action that she's filing. So yeah. she she clearly has been sort of. I don't know if I want to use the word coached. That makes it sound a little disingenuous. Well, yeah, sometimes you can be coached to tell your truth. And it's just about being coached for the courtroom. Because, you know, the average person doesn't know exactly what to say when they got on the stand. Right. So she is trying to show some very serious emotional damages because yeah. even if this guy stalked her, videotaped her, put video on the Internet, if there were no damage to her, it w the case would not be worth anything, yeah. right? Usually when people show damages, they show economic damages. Yeah. However... In this case, there yeah. aren't, as of yet that I see or understand, yeah, and in any. Fact, yeah, and I think one of the... Um, the defense attorney. The defense attorney tried to highlight was that she's actually made a lot more money since this. Right. Did On cross examination, yeah. he was asking her, "Didn't you get an endorsement by this company and that company mm. and the other?" And her roster of endorsements sounds like she herself is a professional athlete. It yeah. was pretty impressive. Now the question is, did this incident help her and and get those? I, I don't think that that's what they're saying. Um, well, I think I think that is what they're saying. I think you know I think what they are saying is this incident actually led to your economic windfall. I mean, that's a really and so what case do you have for dangerous damages? place to, to, to take this? Like you actually uh, benefited from this because what if she would have well, gotten it anyway? Well, we know Kim Kardashian. We, we, we've had these stories before. But where I, I think Aaron Andrews had a, a, a you know, I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but she had a, a, a talent, a skill, oh, a, yeah, an audience before this. She, did, she was highly popular before this. Yeah, but her, her popularity skyrocketed afterwards. And I think, what was the number they said of people have viewed this video already? 18 million. 18 million. And it's viewed what once every, like, 1.2 minutes oh, that's or something awful. like that. So it's not great, but in terms of her publicity and 
the way her career went, I do think it helped her. It got her name out there. She became more of a national presence. Okay, so that's, I mean, that's, Unwanted. it's hard, right? Unwanted, it's hard to, yeah. it's hard to prove, right? Because yeah. I, I could think I could make the case that that was the trajectory of her career anyways, mm -hmm. without this. Uh, defense attorneys for, you know, the guy and the hotel will try and make the case that you're saying. And yet, if she can prove real emotional damages, yeah. she might have a win here. But she still has to prove negligence. And, you know, that's going to really come down to foreseeability on the hotel's part. Oh, what foreseeability would they have that someone would go in, screw with this, you know, little peephole and, you know, record someone? Well, what I, I know, safe I know for that? I know that some of the argument has been, why is it that a stranger can call up and ask to speak with somebody and they get connected fine, but why did her room number need to appear on the phone itself? Yeah, and, and again, foreseeability. Do we think that someone using the restaurant phone, I mean, it sounds like he used an internal phone on purpose um, to call and get that number, would that have led to this kind of, is it foreseeable it would have, and it seems to me to be a little too far. It is pretty tenuous. I I mean, clearly she has a, a, a win against the guy who did yeah. it, and I hope that she gets any amount left that he is worth. Yeah, and it may just be that they had, the, the lawyer sometimes, as a lawyer, you have to do your due diligence, you have to defend, you have to represent your client zealously, and you have to do certain things, and part of doing certain things is alleging negligence and including the hotel. Yeah. You know, so, you know, if you're, if you're doing your job as an attorney, that's what you do, though it seems a little bit strange to be going after the hotel for $75 million. Right, although if she's able to pull it off, yeah. I would think that she would be in for a big win. For yeah. The way I see it is that she's either going to lose and get nothing, yeah. or if she wins, she'll win pretty large. I don't know about 75 million large. Yeah. In fact, I'm pretty confident it's not going to be anywhere near that. She may, she may get a judgment against the guy, but... Once again, that'll be money never seen, most likely. Right. And the the chances against the Marriott Hotel itself? Well, with the details of the case that we've read so far, I don't see it. Yeah, so we the defense is now um, presenting their case, and uh, a decision is expected uh, within, I think, a week or two. Yeah. So not that long, and we'll find yeah, out I'll soon. I'll update you then. All right, so we have even though football was over and I saw, oh, DraftKings yeah. again. What are they talking to us offering this time? Well, mixed martial arts fans, listen up. Right. DraftKings is America's favorite one-day fantasy sports site where you could win huge prizes every time you play. Now put your MMA knowledge to the test for a shot to win big. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Welcome to the big time. Hurry to DraftKings.com now. Use promo code GEEK and play for free with your first deposit. That's promo code GEEK for free entry now, only at DraftKings.com. That's DraftKings.com. Great. Thank you, <laughs> DraftKings, for your support of Justice is Served. And if you're an MMA fan, get in on that yeah. quick. All right. So this story I saw, and I was like, thank you, Captain Obvious. But a new study, an academic study, reveals kind of what I think most of us is long suspected yeah. that um, black offenders, uh, at least in the state of South Carolina, yeah. get harsher sentences than white people who commit the same crimes. Yeah, and are jailed more often, so yeah. So, okay, it was like almost so 
yeah, that I was like, what is there really to talk about here? But when I read the study a little bit more, I was even surprised by some of what it found. The, I mean, first they use unequivocal language, like this is really happening, that there yeah. are not other factors that could, could explain yeah. this difference. And the saddest part is that the difference in how black offenders and white offenders are treated is most significant when they don't have a significant criminal history. That the black offender will face something like a 40% stricter, harsher sentence than somebody with the same virtually non-criminal history. So it's, it's, I mean, this is terrible. So right off the bat, somebody makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. If you're a black person, you are Looking at jail time and looking at the loss of your job and you know all the things that come along with that. And a white person, not yeah. not as as likely. I mean, it was pretty. I'm, I'm I'm quoting here. It's astonishing to find that the likelihood that someone will go to prison for a minor crime can be almost 50 percent increased for a black offender. Yeah. So basically, this confirms what we knew and says actually it's worse. Yeah. I mean, at least than what I thought. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's refreshing that these are studies that are coming out. But I think it speaks to the overall necessity to do something about a criminal justice system and to yeah. reform it. And that it's an academic study. So yeah. it's not something studied by, no. uh, wasn't, you know, um, requested or done by uh, any interest group. Exactly. So, um, yeah, South Carolina. And the reason that the uh, researchers picked South Carolina is because there are no sentencing guidelines. So the judges have a far wider range of yeah. discretion. And so we're really seeing what judges left to their own devices. What could happen? So yeah, I think it just calls for the need for more oversight. Yeah, and it wasn't, the the, um, disparity wasn't just for like really dangerous crimes. It it was for petty crimes just the same. Across the board, yeah. So this whole, I I mean, I don't don't know. This is really, this is bad news. Um, But I, I hope that it's such shocking news because sometimes if it had just confirmed what we already know, we might, ignore it. Yeah. But because it's so bad. Yeah, it's jarring. Um, perhaps, you know, somebody will take note. I think we, just in all of us taking note and knowing these numbers and uh, that academic research now supports what we've suspected is a pretty powerful tool to use in our public discourse yeah. about the um, public, uh, our criminal justice system. So. Oh man, all right, and this one was very interesting to me. Um, Surprising, but maybe not. Yeah, not completely, but yeah. So we have the new face of the new welfare queen. Can we post that? (laughs) There, you know, back in the 80s and 90s, there was this media depiction of what the welfare queen was, and we know that it was a not so nice term to discuss generally black women black single mothers uh, that they felt were taking advantage of the system right you know ripping us off and just recently the brother of Warren Jeffs yeah this guy right here Lyle Jeffs who is a leader in the fundamentalist Mormon church was arrested along with 11 other men and women who were engaging in food stamp fraud. Yeah, and they that was this was a big um, sort of a huge attempt at fraud. 
what they did, they, they established their own stores. And convenience stores. Convenience stores. Yeah. And they applied um, for benefits to the federal government to be able to accept food stamps. So this was a whole long planned out thing. Yeah, this wasn't this was a, a moment of desperation. This was like a whole business enterprise. Exactly. And so their church members would get these, um, would get the food stamps and, you know, get that assistance. And they would use it in the store, either buying goods and redonating them back to the church or not buying anything at all, but swiping for the goods. And making it look like they had purchased something yeah. when they had not. And then those stores get that money from the government. So this is a whole, you know, operation here uh, involving men and women belonging to the church. The indictment doesn't say how much money uh, was supposedly at issue here, but I imagine it was quite substantial to catch their, you know, and uh, and they and then they then laundered the money through different companies. I mean, this is. Like the new welfare queen was like a highly sophisticated white collar crime yeah, enterprise, yeah, unbelievable, or maybe not so unbelievable actually. Um, so the next time that somebody tries to tell you about oh all the poor black people who are taking advantage of the yeah. system, now you've got like oh really? I didn't know that Lyle Just was black because actually yeah. <laughs> he's not. Um, just really, you know, quite. Um, and what I found what, quite what, shocking. But what I found interesting when, was that the majority of people that qualify for food stamps don't actually collect them. Right. Yeah, we're yeah. under that misconception. So now, it, you know, this if the name Jeffs sounds familiar to you, it's probably because Warren Jeffs, the the church leader, is serving life sentence in prison for statutory rape yeah. of uh, a 12 year old and a 15 year old who were supposedly his wives. wives. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. And so it, this article I saw was talking about how little fraud there is in the system. Mm-hmm. So back when it was presented as this, the welfare queens are taking advantage of it, even back then, it was only 4% yeah. fraud. Yeah. And then today, or um, I should say 2013 is the most recent year that there is uh, data for this, just one one point three percent of all food stamp benefits um, are shown by an audit to, to be a, a fraudulent yeah. transaction. So this is a, a very very impressively low rate of fraud yeah. for this system. So when I hear people talking about we need to cut social you know, programs, right, and... because of all the fraud, it's just not true. Yeah. It's actually I, I like it's an, it's a fictional epidemic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I saw that phrase and I thought that that was, uh, it, it was perfect. It yeah. is just not, not true. true. It's just the sort of the power of uh, marketing and this mm. fear-based idea that we're letting people be lazy and we're funding them. Because I, I, I what gets people matter the most? The idea that they are paying for someone else to eat and that person's eating really well, e- right. even better than they are. I mean, the, I mean how, how much are we supporting, like, let's say Walmart with it not paying people. I mean, we give yeah. subsidies that are basically allowing these companies to commit. Anyway, this can, I could turn this into a whole <laughs> political discussion. I really should be a guest on Black Tea Party yeah. so I can get this all out of my system. But uh, yeah, all right. So, wow, uh, I think we have reached the end of our show. Yep. Man, that went by quick. Um, please be sure, everyone, to comment, um, like, 
Leave us five stars. Subscribe if you're not already subscribed. And uh, please watch next week. We'll, um, we will be missing Chelsea, but we're yes. going to have our uh, Cosby special um, with our special guest, Mari Fagel. Yes, I may or may not, depending on my internet connection from Costa Rica, be able to tune in. <laughs> uh -huh. Wishing you the best, and then I will be back. Unless I just up and root my life and just move to the rainforest. <laughs> Barring that, I will be back the week after. Um, so I'll see you then. Sedate, thank you for joining us today on Justice is Served. Thanks. From executives Kevin Undergaro, Dario Kristen, Tiana Hobson, and the entire BHL staff, we would like to thank you for supporting Black Hollywood Live the first online broadcast network dedicated to African-American entertainment. For questions and comments, contact us, info at blackhollywoodlive.com. Like us on Facebook, tweet us, or Instagram us at BHL Online. And I am the official voice of Black Hollywood Live, Scipio, Instagram at KingXOBay. Thanks for tuning in. Hollywood Redefined. Views expressed here are those of the whole song and do not necessarily reflect the views of BHL or its owners or principals.